Open finance could define the future of financial services. That's why 11FS and Plaid have joined forces, creating a report to explore it in greater depth, scrutinizing the lessons learned from open banking and outlining key policy considerations for its implementation. We also consider its impact on financial service providers and the potential benefits to consumers. Download the report for free at bit.ly forward slash open finance 2020. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Sam Ball. And on today's show, we want to talk about the PPP lending program that was launched in the U.S. on April 3rd, 2020, to help SMBs keep their businesses up and running during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're also going to chat about the Main Street lending program and what the situation has been like from a lender's perspective. And to do so, I'm joined by excellent guests today. Making our Fintech Insider debut, we have Corey LeBlanc, Chief Digital Officer, at Origin Bank and a good friend of mine. Corey, how are you? I'm doing great, Sam. How are you this morning? You sound so good coming live. It's, it's the microphone. From, it is from Ruston, Louisiana, everybody. You want to introduce Origin Banks and your relationship to PPP and lending real quick? Yes, Origin Bank, for anyone who is not familiar with us, we're a six plus billion dollar regional community bank that is headquartered in north central Louisiana in the town of Ruston. And we have business operations in the I-20 corridor all the way from Jackson, Mississippi through North Louisiana and out to Dallas market. Uh, so that Dallas-Fort Worth area and as well as Houston, we have about 44 plus locations. And um, when IPO back in 2018 and just like a lot of community banks who support the small business industry, uh, we were very active in PPP and, and did as much as we possibly could to try to, to get the funds in the hands of the people who needed it. And the best thing about Corey is we call him the inked banker because he is sporting two awesome arm sleeves of tattoos, which I look for in every banker that I personally deal with. And you should. All right. Our next guest, Neil Karam. He's the director of growth and operations at Oak North. Nice to have you on, Neil. Can you tell us a little bit about Oak North's role in the PPP lending program? Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for thanks for having me. So, um, as, as as you know, but maybe some others, uh, we've got a couple of different parts to uh, to Oak North, and so um, <clears throat> you know we have our, our credit analysis and monitoring platform, which is something that we license globally uh, to banks and our you know bank partners, um, and then we also have an, an actual bank uh, in, in the UK, which is which is powered by our our platform uh, where we lend our, our own balance sheet. So, um, you know, of course, you know the PPP that's a, a US based program, and so um, you know we, what we did. You know when that was announced to really help our plaf- our partner banks, uh, we debo- deployed an end-to-end solution uh, for those banks. So um, you know, kind of front end that their their customers could interact with. Um, you know, banks continue to make all of their uh, you know underwriting and, and risk decisions um, and, and approvals through our platform, uh, and then we handle you know everything from from submission to uh, to forgiveness. And really. Um, you know, as you know, Sam, you know, our 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 main uh, platform really focused on, on the underwriting credit aspect. Um, but, you know, PPP was much more process oriented, but we were able to add uh, quite a bit of leverage um, and relatively quickly. So, uh, you know, we, we kind of did from the announcement to first client on, call it 10 days and onboarded some others in, in about 72 hours, which I think, you know, was really, really highlights, um, you know, some of the added value that fintechs were able to bring in getting these critical dollars to um, uh, to American businesses. Yeah, we are uh, massive fans of Oak North at 11FS. I talk about y'all whenever I'm on stage. 
as a, as a great example of what can be done. And speaking of being massive fans, we are massive fans of Cabbage at 11FS and massive fans of Catherine Petralia, co-founder and COO at Cabbage. How are you doing, Catherine? Uh, as well as can be imagined under the circumstances. Thank you. Well, let's go ahead and brag a little bit about Cabbage and what you've been able to do with PPP. Do you want to throw out some of those numbers? Because if you don't, I I'm um, sure I'd love to. <laughs> well, to be fair, we never interacted with the SBA previously. So this was a new thing for us, you know, taking in documents and, you know, figuring out how to extract the data from those documents. But we wound up um, the fourth largest PPP lender by volume, um, covering over a thousand industries. We um, approved 146,000 applications for $4.2 billion. And um, 90% of those were new customers to us. And 85, 80% of them had five or fewer employees who were serving the really, really small businesses. So you are allowed to brag because, again, this wasn't a space that you typically were in and you spun this so quickly. So to the team at Cabbage, we love y'all. Uh, to, to that character with the fans, I don't remember his name, but God, I love that guy. Um, but the not today, Satan fan. And I'll remember his name, Catherine. He was fantastic. <laughs> when we did our live show, I'm going to look him up. Absolutely. One oh, of my favorite Joe, characters. Joe Brooks, Joe. Yeah, Joe Brooks gets a shout out. We love him. All he right. Does. So with that, let, let's do a little bit of scene setting for our audience and a quick recap. So what is the PPP lending scheme and who's eligible for it? Well, the program started on April 3rd, 2020. Uh, the loan may be partially or fully forgiven if the business keeps its employee counts and employee wages stable. The program was implemented by the U.S. Small Business Administration, SBA. Each business can only receive one loan, and they've been given on a first-come, first-served basis. 60% of the loan must be used for payroll expenses, and the loan taker must maintain 75% of each member of staff's monthly pay. So who are these lenders? Well, they're federally insured banks, federally insured credit unions, farm credit system institutions, and small business administration approved lenders, like Cabbage, for example. What are the conditions for loan forgiveness? Well, employees are kept on the payroll for eight weeks to begin with. This was later extended to 24 weeks. The money is used for payroll, rent, mortgage interest, or utilities. The first round of PPP lending program ran out of money in only 13 days. The second round was made up of $340 billion. The second round made up of $321 billion. Self-employed people were able to apply for the PPP loan one week after SMBs. Essentially, for me to describe um, PPP was... Uh, flying the plane and retrofitting it in the air, that analogy we always like to use, but actually done through Congress, which, by the way, is a miracle that anything got out that fast. So I have to give them a little bit of applause for that. So the question then is, was this enough money? Um, was enough money available and who got it? So that's what we really want to dive in with the three of you. So as banks and lenders, did you see the flood of application coming once the window was open? How fast did the volume come in for you all? People started coming right away. Like the minute that they saw that there was going to be a program, we started taking applications. And it was actually really unfortunate for Cabbage. We probably were in a much worse position um, relative to these other guys because we didn't actually have the ability to process the loans yet because we weren't a licensed lender. We were working with two bank partners. They weren't ready yet because the guidance kept changing and everybody was anxious about where we going to be able to, you know, pledge these loans and how is it going to work. So we only got into like the last eight hours of the first trial which was challenging because we had over 100,000 applications to process. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was, let that sink in, everybody. Okay, Catherine said that quickly. But again, only eight hours and you have 100,000 applications, you know, coming in the door. So, so Corey, what that did you all see? 
Yeah, that yeah, is. Yeah, for us, you know, leading up to it, like you said, there were so many changes. You talked about you know, kind of changing it in the air, and that's very much what the week leading up to it was. And so as an institution, we were doing our best to work with, you know, the SBA and, and every entity that we possibly could. The, for us, the LBA, to have the conversation around exactly what are these standards? What is this going to look like? How can we get involved? Because we weren't an SBA bank uh, lender before. So we actually had to get set up in the system to get access to E-Tran and SBA. And we started reaching out to our small business customers. And so one of the big problems that we had initially was that we really didn't have a platform in place. So we're an Encino shop for commercial lending. So all of our commercial uh, loan origination goes through Encino today. And, you know, we really weren't set up for PPP or SBA in that form. And so for us, we were very nervous going into the first round that any form of technology or automation could delay the process. We didn't want to sit there and have people who were requesting loans waiting for a response for us because the system didn't work, right? And we couldn't test up front. And that's one of the, the main things when we start to implement technology, right, is the ability to be able to test something up front, and, and we couldn't do that. So we, we ended up putting together a, a team collectively of various groups within inside the organization. I mean, I was entering loans into the SBA system, not nearly to the extent that uh, our lenders and all the others, look, I don't want to pretend that I did a tremendous amount of work in that part. But, uh, you know, we just really pushed as hard as we could. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, at the, towards the end of phase one, we started to roll out a relationship that we had with uh, Numerated and FIS to, to help kind of automate the process going into phase two. And then on the backside of this for forgiveness, uh, we're bringing all that back into Encino. But, you know, ultimately what we were able to do is contact over 99% of our customers successfully. They were on the small business side, have conversations with them, find out who really needed the program and who didn't. And, and at the end of the day, we end up going, I think I'm going to go ahead and look at these numbers precisely, over 550 million in loans and, and over, to over 2,000 small businesses. And for us, that's really, really, you know, huge because, you know, our small businesses are our friends and our neighbors. And we were just really happy that we could get out there and help them. Um, because if you look at that total, I think the way we accumulated it, it was over 60,000 employee jobs saved in our communities. And so that was really important. So maybe not uh, to the numbers, to the extent of cabbage, but uh, considering the, our, our footprint and some of the stuff that we were doing, we were, we were really proud of that. Uh, but it was a collaborative effort. I mean, we worked with organizations outside of our, our bank, our, you know, not just internal people, to really have the conversation on what's going to be the best way to do this and how can we make sure that the funds get to the people. And Neil, I'm curious from an Oak North standpoint, um, I know I, I, I follow this pretty heavily in the press and on Twitter. Um, so I was seeing people like Jill Castilla and, and Kurt at, at uh, Tab Bank talking about this, about just uh, the changing regulatory environment nonstop, right? Um, and also access to E-Tran. So, I mean, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but I mean, what, what was it like at Oak North? I mean, was it just a floodgate? Well, you know, so listen again. We're we we are um, you know, we're the technology provider, and so I can talk to to at least what our partner banks were saying. But this that was the the reason to be able to to technology. And as as Corey just mentioned, right? Um, you know, the 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 first step's going to throw everyone at the bank into it. And so you you had like folks from different compliance departments, folks that were doing relationship managers that were in it. Um, and we, 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 we cover a range of banks, right? So kind of money centers to your, to your community banks. And, and even at your large banks, we know folks from just various departments um, getting pulled in. It's like, yeah, you know, we've got a team dedicated of my team. That's far, far from what they're doing. I think, you know, um, you definitely saw that um, because, because the need there, um, you know, in, in the market. And I think, you know, just kind of, you know, it's one of your you know, kind of later points, but, um, you know, 
just, just broadly, again, there, there was a very positive outlook for, for the economy and getting this capital out there and getting out there quickly. So everyone kind of manually went to go do it. Um, one of the things that was key, um, you know, Corey, you highlighted for us, was having a solution quick to stand up. Right. Um, so there wasn't a lot of time. There's a lot of time for, for banks to test and, and how do they get um, additional leverage uh, very, very quickly. And it's kind of the way that we wanted to think through it, um, particularly with, with our, our partner banks. Um, and so, you know, what, what, what we did was, again, had a front end that was something they could plug into. They put on a link on their website, kind of, you know, flows through, um, you know, through our site. And, and the way that we leverage was, um, you know, a big part of this is just chase a borrower, right? So you have you have all of these um, smaller businesses um, that aren't have documentation laying around. So they've got to go find it. And maybe it's not the docs laying around, right? And just chasing, right? And so, the, you know, they're frustrated. They want to get to it really quickly, but they're not sending you the right docs. So um, we'd set up a, you know, kind of back and forth system that that allowed the right information um, to our bank partners. When they look at an application, it's it's then complete, right? So it's really a much easier approve um, to what we then also kind of, you know, provided the back end. They're kind of done. So if you're at the bank, um, even though you're pulling everyone in, what you're doing is you're just you're just kind of hitting your proof. But you know, to to your to your point was yes, flooded demand both in the in the first um, the first round uh, and and the second. Um, you know, and and I think even in the interim, I think all banks were just kind of queuing up for you know for additional funding so you can get that um, into the market quickly. Uh, Catherine, I what you all did uh, a little while ago easily one of my favorite ads of all time, the ten minute man. Uh, with Gary Cole. So if anybody's seen Office Space, yeah, I'm going to need you to, that guy, yeah, I'm going to need you to stay this weekend. But it was called the 10-Minute Man, so it's 10 minutes in the future. And that's the thing with Cabbage. Y'all are, you're fast as anything, right? The decisioning side of this and the relationship you've always had with SMBs, with your core products. So when it came to PPP, again, something new for y'all and having to respond so quickly, how, how did you decide or, or make decisions on which which loans to move forward with, or, or was this just a, literally a first come first serve? Because you had such a massive volume. Well, there are, there are rules about that actually. The SBA requires that you process the applications first in first out. So we um, the challenge that we had was there were so many document types that were originally designated as documents to use for this, and as time passed, then. The documents became more streamlined, and it turned out we could use documents, by the way, none of us had ever heard of before. I never knew what a 940 was or a W3 or any of these things. And I can tell you, our small business applicants didn't know what they were either. So that was one of the big challenges. And then we would have, we had a system where they could upload documents, but we built our own OCR tool that was able to classify the document and extract the data and run it through automated. So like 75% of our customers of the folks we served had a fully automated experience. So we grabbed the data, did the calculations, sent it to SBA got back. They they had to come back and use DocuSign to sign the documents, but it was automated from that perspective. So a few hours, it could happen. But for customers where the document, we couldn't classify the data, we'd have, we had a whole manual team of all of our employees. Um, I was doing it too. We're all going through those documents and finding out that it turns out it wasn't a W3. It was a picture of their cat. So that happened you know, quite a number of times where the documents weren't what we thought they were. And you know, people, are, they just do it wrong or maybe it's fraud. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that that could happen. But that was the challenge is the ones that were not automated took so much time. And then there were things like K1s. What the hell is that? 
like that's really complicated. You have to deal with those with certain businesses. So anyway, there, there were lots of really complicated business types, but a lot of really simple ones like independent contractors. So 90% of our independent contractor applicants, which represented about 40% of the applicants, um, were fully automated because it's really easy. It's a 1040C. Again, another document I never heard of before. And I've heard that consistently and, and everything I've read about this and listened to in other podcasts and in interviews was just the, the confusion around documentation and what I had to actually do. So, but Corey, I'm curious, um, as we got into the second round, I remember I made a prediction, man, the second round, the funds would dry up like literally in you know, 26, 48 hours. Uh, that's not what happened. And I was surprised by that. Were, were you surprised to see the volumes kind of drop come second round? I mean, I, I heard that these were maybe... Um, you had folks that had done multiple submissions to different providers because they were so panicked in the first first round. So, I mean, what do you drove? What do you think drove that the the numbers not being what we thought would happen in the second round? Yeah, first thing is we were absolutely surprised. I think as an organization, we were all collectively having the conversation about the you know because again we were introducing numerated to the second phase to make sure that we can make it as easy as possible for the customers and also our lenders to get these applications pushed through and we still had loans that were sitting there waiting for additional funds right so we didn't get through a hundred percent of the loans requests that we had in phase one we got really really close but we still had some loans out there so i was right along with you i think i predicted 36 hours uh i think on twitter right we were all kind of going back and forth and so uh, talking with you know our CEO and our lenders and everyone else, we were saying, hey, look, this is going to probably last maybe two days at best. So we're going to have to hit the ground running. So we were actually hoping, like I remember having the conversation, hoping that they were going to release or open the portal up like at 2 a.m., right on a Friday or Saturday, so that maybe we would have a, a little bit of an edge over some institutions who weren't willing to put the work in. Uh, so as the funds continue to stretch, we were quite surprised. But, you know, I, I guess the reason why I believe that it, it's kind of been you know, a little slower, right, to, to remove the funds. I, I think that a lot of the people who absolutely needed to rush to get this stuff into the hands of their business to make sure that it worked, they pushed, right? They pushed right there at phase one. I think the, the latter people are probably still sitting there looking and trying to determine whether or not they need the funds or whether or not they're going to be able to push through to say, hey, am I going to get this forgiveness? Is this going to be something that's just going to be a 1% debt on a business that I'm not going to be able to survive with anyway? And I think there's a combination of that as well as Businesses trying to look at, you know, you look, EIDL just uh, launched back up yesterday. Uh, then you have the Main Street Lending Program. I know we were going to talk about a little bit later. So I think that really as small businesses, they're working, I'm hoping, working with their financial institutions. I know we're working with our customers as best we can and, you know, willing to have conversations with anyone who wants to come do business with us. We'd love to help be that guide. I think people are just trying to figure out what is going to be the best path to be able to come out of this thing successfully. And I think that with everything that keeps changing, now it's obviously getting better for them. And so uh, I'm not sure what to anticipate, but I would imagine that you would think that over the next two weeks with the recent changes, you know, the 60 percent. And then even if you go below that, there's still potential for partial forgiveness on as long as you had 60 percent of that specific amount was dedicated to payroll. I think things like that, if the information is getting out to the small businesses from the financial institutions, you could see start to see more push. And look, we're still getting PP applications in uh, daily, just not nearly to the volume that we were seeing before. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a basic rule, and, and Corey, you knew this, you're in the, the Air Force, in the military, when, when you come upon somebody that's, that's suffered trauma, right, or has an injury, and stop the bleeding, right? Make sure they're breathing, stop the bleeding, right? Um, I, I, and I think overall, when you look at the state of the U.S. economy, we still got a long way to go with COVID. We still got a long way to go with all of this. 
But what I will say is that across the board, so companies like Cabbage, like Oak North, banks like um, Origin and others, um, as fast as y'all moved um, and as um, flexible as y'all were and the hours y'all put in, um, you're, you're getting a standing ovation from me right now. This is a mini golf clap because it's a, you know, we're on a podcast and I don't want it to be loud, but I think we all owe you a, a shout out for doing that. Uh, and, and right now this is a good place to take a pause because we have to hear from this week's sponsor for this. So let's take a second to hear from that sponsor and then we'll jump back in. We are truly in uncharted waters. Looking to us for guidance. Nothing is more important than building trust right now. This will be the new normal. How can I help? Hear that? That's the sound of change. Right now, business leaders are rethinking, reassessing, and repurposing business as usual to deal with this new crisis. It's a global conversation Salesforce is having called Leading Through Change. And it's all about businesses working together to achieve one simple goal, help. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Learn more at salesforce.com backslash leading through change. This podcast is brought to you by Equinix. Equinix is the world's largest global platform of interconnected data centers, enabling fastest application performance, lowest latency, and a digital ecosystem for financial services. Its platform of over 200 data centers worldwide protects, connects, and empowers the mission-critical infrastructure for over 10,000 businesses. Find out more at equinex.co.uk. This episode of FinTech Insider is brought to you by MyTech, combining the world's best forensic experts with the industry's most advanced technology. Only MyTech delivers banking-grade identity verification with the highest possible assurance levels, massively reducing risk, fraud, and cost. Discover more at mytechsystems.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Uh, in this next section, we want to talk about the Main Street Lending Program. So let's talk about what it is. And Neil, if you don't mind, can you kind of explain, uh, summarize that program really quickly and how o- Oak North is working in that space? Sure. I'm happy to, Sam. So, um, you know, there, there are some some differences and uh, key ones when you think of uh, Main Street versus um, versus PPP. Um, so Main Street program uh, is targeting businesses with up to 15,000 employees, uh, whereas, uh, you know, PPP was about 500 um, and, you know, revenues up to a $5 billion. Um, You know, another another key um, point here is the PPP forgiveness program is exactly that, um, which is a, a forgivable program. Uh, this is a loan, um, a loan that needs to be that needs to be paid back. Um, and from the uh from the administration's perspective, you know, from a bank's perspective, they need to retain some of that risk. So it's not risk that they can pass on um, directly to uh, to another entity. They need to keep about 95% of that risk. So um, when you think about from a bank's perspective or a lender's perspective, the, the challenges of the program, um, really, uh, it, it's different in that PPP was very operational. And so you, you needed to have, um, you know, kind of the, the, uh, the systems, the, the processes, and um, to kind of get applications in and out the door. Um, from from a Main Street lending uh, perspective, it's it's more it's more credit intensive. So you need to think about your your underwrite. Um, so you need to actually do an underwrite. You do a full underwrite. 
um, you know, similar to BPB, you are supposed to look at everything um, in an organized way that, that comes in, kind of give give it a good look, um, while you still have your own own reason to um, you know to underwrite it. Um, and then it's a longer loan, right? So it's kind of you know it goes out um, four years, because it's in five, um, and and you've got to track compliance because uh, there's eligibility criteria. And so while you don't have to use it for repayment of um, of of just paychecks and payroll, um, it is it is strongly urged that you you know maintain commercial best efforts to maintain your your payroll. So there there are, and and you can't take any distributions from the company. Um, so there's there's other compliance pieces that you that you need to do. So operationally, it's actually kind of very different um, from a bank. And so um, what we've been helping our clients do is really as they think about it, uh, I think it's a couple of things. And Sam, you'd mentioned at the end of our, our kind of last uh, segment, which was you know in, ensuring uh, stop the bleeding. I think is, is what you said, right? And so what we've been spending time with our, our clients is is helping them segment and identify um, where is capital needed, right? Um, it goes into just the, the view on on this program. You know whether it's through the Main Street program that's needed for your client, or you could have something else in house. But 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 who needs it? And so one of the things um, that we've done again, um, we're global business. We had actually seen um, COVID hitting in China first um, to some of our you know the banks that we. Uh, that we partner with in, in Asia. Um, and we built out very specific COVID scenarios. Clearly those changed from when it was a supply issue um, problem to, to now a shutdown and reboot problem, uh, which businesses are seeing. But you know, again, um, very uh, specifically, we wanted, we wanted to create a quick way for banks to do this. Because some of the challenges are um, data may not be up to, up to speed, um, up to date. Um, this is a very, you know, you need to be borrower specific, who, who has issues in a particular sector. Um, and so we, we developed um, a COVID framework, um, which is really just 130 different specific models of different subsectors um, that you can then take about 15 different metrics from a, from a borrower really designed, um, really designed to give you a sense of do you have enough cash going into this? Um, what was your leverage going into this? Is this a business you may want to think about putting more leverage on? Um, and then clearly we have our proprietary views that are that are driven by our platform of of when when a particular sector may come out of it. And so what a bank is able to get out of that um, is just based on the information we know today within our organization, do we think this borrower can make it? And then and then we can spend more time doing a deeper dive. Okay, so what's their online sales? What's the kind of you know sales from a you know from a retail? But um, you know, with our our recently announced partnership with PNC to to go do this over over massive um, massive loan book, um, that's a lot of resources spent on just on just identifying the need. <clears throat> um, then so once it's identified, right, it's kind of who's gonna need who's gonna need Main Street themselves. We've also created a front end so that the borrower can put in a lot of the information that's needed. It's very specific and goes through and do the eligibility test because what you shouldn't also have your team doing is is, is spending the time determining the eligibility and someone's ineligible. That's time that could have been spent processing alone for, for someone that you know that is eligible and does need it as you need to sit down and underwrite and assess the credit. You know, what I'm really curious about on this thing, um, in all honesty, is it was announced in March is it actually, I mean, we saw this with PPP, right? When the second round came out and, and Corey, I'm, I'm interested from your perspective. Do we think we're going to see volumes of, of folks applying for this thing? Is it going to get used? Yeah. You know, that's a really good question. Cause you know, you look at the PPP, right? We thought it was all going to go away to your point. And as things are starting to open back up, businesses are starting to get a little more of that, that money back in, right? They're trying to get to some form of new normal. I don't think that they're absolutely getting to the number of volumes that they were seeing before. And then, of course, you know, 
we don't want to talk about it, but if there's a, a wave two of this thing and it starts to bring things back down a little bit, that's of some significance. And I think then you're going to see these businesses probably entertaining it a little more, right? And I think what they're doing right now is the same thing with the PPP is they're evaluating, well, is this going to be good for my business? Is this going to really help me get through this? Is this going to be something that's going to take it to the next level so that we can survive this, so that we can be able to provide for our community, so we can maintain our jobs for our employees? Uh, and if it doesn't fit for them, I think that they're going to they're going to stay away from it. So as an organization, we're still evaluating. Right. We're trying to work with our customers. We're trying to determine if there's going to be a demand or a need of whether we, we need to participate or not. Or do we just need to work with our customers with with loans and other ways to be able to help them to get out of this? Or, you know, do we push them more towards the EIDL? And, and that's something that we're still trying to evaluate. Uh, as things are changing, I think that you've seen an evolution of this thing as they, they get ready to, to, to launch it. And I think it's not coincidental, right, that it, it starts to come out and they're going to try to launch this thing directly after the PPP, you know, expires uh, to provide those funds. And I think that's the right move. But, you know, lowering it down to having that $250,000 cap or, or minimum cap uh, was good. I think that's going to help some businesses. I think that there's going to be more people that's going to be interested, but I still don't know that we're going to see the volume like we saw with the initial PPP or with the initial EIDL uh, in interest just because of the information and the point in time in which we're at with all of the crisis. So, Catherine, um, there, there's a running joke with your co-founder, Rob, of how you're one of the most influential people in the country. I always got to throw that in whenever I have Catherine on. But um, you really but you really are. I mean, Cabbage, you think about what you've been able to do in this space when you, you know, this, these, these are your customers. These are the SMB um, market here in the U.S. And, and, you know, Cabbage is highly influential, as you are. In this, if if you were, if I could sit you down in Congress with the folks that are pushing this, that are putting this thing together, I mean, what what advice would you give them? You know, just reflecting on the past couple months of what we've gone through. I think we would talk about just the the preponderance of small businesses that are really small. So 30, 32 million small businesses in the U.S., 90% have fewer than 20 employees, 80% have fewer than 10. And, you know, these are the folks, that doesn't even include independent contractors, which there are, you know, 15 million-ish or so, depending on how you do that math. So these are the folks who are having the most difficult time. They're the most vulnerable. They're the ones who need the most support. And they're the ones that we're able to serve. We won't be participating in the Main Street facility. It's just not the, the folks the types of folks that we serve. PPP was actually really perfect for us. But what I would talk also about is the importance of managing the forgiveness process. We are not alone in advocating for the um, the blanket forgiveness for loans under a certain amount. The maximum amount that an independent contractor could qualify for anyway is like $20,300. So even if it was just that amount or less, like how in the world do you even determine forgiveness for an independent contractor? Like, yes, I paid myself. And then do I need to show you my grocery bills? because I spent the money. Like, how, how do you do that? It's, it seems impossible. So that is sort of the process I would talk about. It seems wasteful to invest a lot of time um, in managing forgiveness for that, especially when there are much larger programs like Main Street that are going to serve the bigger, the bigger businesses. So let, let's move on to this next section, which is the role of the banks and lenders during this, this period, because I, I, am, I am really curious to hear from the three of you. Um, what has the impact been on you on your day-to-day operations. I mean, you, you, you know, Corey, you're, you're, you're still running a bank, you know, Neil, same thing, you know, as a software provider, you know, Cabbage has a core offering. So what has this done to, you know, the day-to-day for you? You know, Corey, I mean, what about at Origin? 
Yeah, you know, day to day, we actually have a team that's still kind of dedicated to PPP. I mean, we have a, a market president uh, for our Louisiana market who has kind of taken this on as as kind of his his thing to run with, and and it's been huge for us. But I mean, we're having consistent meetings. Uh, at one point, we were having them daily. They're, they're spread out a little bit more, but we're getting daily emails almost, and, and information is coming out about the changes, the modifications. I mean, at one point last week, we had to actually halt PPV application acceptance because they changed some of the terms or conditions. And so we wanted to make sure that we updated the information or documentation that we were given to the new customers so that they had something that was accurate. And then, of course, we're updating our other customers on, on that, those modifications and changes. But this is something that's still very time consuming, very resource cons- uh, intensive to us uh, as an organization. And so we're trying to come out of this thing and, and create some form of what we would say is a plan of action moving forward. And so, you know, myself and, and some of our other team members are, are now more dedicated to well, what's the next iterative steps that we're going to have to do or apply to really start making an impact. Because, you know, uh, the big question that, you know, we're trying to ask ourselves on top of all this PPP and everything else is that, you know, how are we going to be able to innovate or build or, or make those changes efficiently and effectively that are going to pop up and, 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 you know, come to light as this thing starts to progress uh, into August and September. And, you know, if we don't have a good answer for that, then we can expect that our customer and our employee experiences are going to start to suffer. And so we're trying to start to pull some of that away. But it's difficult because, I mean, like I said, not to the cabbage numbers, but $550 million in loans over a few weeks for a regional community bank is significant. And so we're trying to manage the documentation. And then you start looking at, you know, what is an audible uh, loan, right? Um, you know, before they were saying, hey, anything over a million dollars. And now they're, you know, they have verbiage in there that kind of says, or unless we choose you. Uh, we got to make sure that the documentation, everything that we're putting inside of our systems and the information that we're getting from our customers is going to be able to help support that forgiveness. Right. And that's going to be really, really important and be able to help them, you know, navigate this. Uh, but it's 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 been a lot of work. And, you know, we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel just because you have that you know 30th deadline uh, for PPP. But then there's just another wave. Right. So we, we just got to figure out what that next wave is going to be for us and our customers and, and what's going to make the most impact. I tell you one thing I've been reading a lot about and hearing a lot about around this, you know, we talked about the sheer volume of loans that went out the door is the audit risk side of this. Um, and I, I, I am feel fairly confident, uh, Neil and Catherine, that some of your customers have talked to you maybe about that or looked for guidance around that. I mean, yeah, Neil just laughed. So the answer is yes. I mean, have, have, you, have you seen your, your clients coming to you asking for a little bit of guidance on that, Neil? Um, sure. And that, and that was, that was part of at least what we, we looked to provide is just clarity and, and consistency around the process. Um, you know, as they think about that, but you know, as, as, um, as, as you've seen Sam, right, kind of one of our announced partners, customers, banks, a top 15, you know, um, PPP provider. And so, um, there are, there are a lot of loans, um, to kind of think through and think through just, just quickly, um, how they wrap heads around. It. And quite honestly, um, we, we, we are, we have this unique position of being able to speak to many lenders. Um, and, and there's a lot of gray. And there's a lot of gray in the terms of what work needs to be done. So all the all the things that Catherine mentioned, how do you check certain things and and determine that kind of the file is is complete, versus others that say, okay, well maybe you could put the the onus on the borrower with some some sort of um, you know a borrower attestation um, that says, okay, we've we've gone through the financials and and there's all the gray in the middle that goes through kind of every specific. So just respect to the BP um, and audit. That, that that's definitely apparent. And, and again, one of the things we kept the mind to um, as we designed um, the Main Street piece only because, you know, this program started as 
hey, let's all do this. Let's get this cash out, you know, to to the public on the PPP side. Um, and then came all of the okay, well, this is the other things you need to do, and here's the other pieces you need to to go after, and and all you know, kind of the the back end um, auto risk, right? Such that you had borrowers that were pulling loans from the PPP side because it was too large, and the pub, you know the public backlash. I think compliance audit regulatory is going to be something that's keenly focused for for PPP for Main Street, um, and and as Corey mentioned, any additional programs that that come down the line. Uh, Catherine, one thing I, I worry about, man, I'm glad you threw those numbers out when you talk about just the sheer volume of small businesses in the U.S., right? And and how many of them are, um, we, we love that term mom and pop, but, you know, one, two people that, that are running this that are, Rob talks about this all the time, cabbage lets bakers bake. And I love that. That's just a very simple way to understand what the business is, right? But I mean, that's what they do. They're not experts in the regulatory environment. They're not experts in uh, something that, by the way, is getting changed almost daily coming out of the SBA and, and Congress. So um, I, I got to be honest, I worry a little bit about the end businesses, the end customers, if you will, in this case, understanding the loan forgiveness side of this. It scares me. We to totally agree. We totally agree. And they're scared too. We're, we're, they're talking to us now. And to get back to something you asked about earlier, which is why do we think that there are still funds available? A lot of businesses would be interested in borrowing, but they're afraid. They're afraid that the forgiveness process is unclear, that the loan won't actually be forgiven, that the government's not going to do what they say they're going to do. And so they're just like, you know what, I'm going to wait. Or they're, they're afraid that Marco Rubio is going to publish the name of their business and people are going to know they got a PPP loan. So there are like all kinds of issues that, that businesses face, and that's why they're worried about it. And so we have a whole team. I would say 90% of our staff right now is focused on PPP and or forgiveness. And um, I know it's crazy town. And so we, we have, we're launching some products this summer. So like four people are doing that and everybody else is working on PPP and forgiveness. But, um, but it is, we want to, we just want to make sure we do it right. I think it's, it, there's an advantage I would say to being a smaller business, which is your finances are less complicated. So I think the fact that there are probably fewer documents involved in this, um, and we have automated our access to their checking account and to their payroll provider and to their utilities provider, that gives us the ability to manage that, you know, in a more automated way, in a more verifiable way. But it's still scary. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I, I'm glad you use that term, fear. You know, I mean, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, right? Um, we're in the U S we're trying to open back up in some places we're seeing our work other places. You know, I live in Florida. Um, I'm on three straight days of over 2000 cases, you know, being, being reported. So it's that, that I think there's three words that matter so much right now for, for any business. And it's dealing with your customer fear, um, being a trusted resource. So fear, trust, and empathy, right. Um, actually having empathy for the process they have to go through and understanding that they can't upload the cat pick. And it was probably a mistake when they did it. I would love to see what cat pick they uploaded, by the way, Catherine, when they did that. It, it has to be. All cat picks are adorable. But I mean, those, those are what we're living through now because at the end result, which is really the last section we're going to talk about right now and end on this is, has this helped? You know, at the end of the day, you know, was this successful? I mean, I've said this a few times now, my own opinion. I think uh, the Federal Reserve has done a, is my opinion, has done a good job. Um, uh, I've never seen the Fed move so fast in trying to stabilize markets. And again, um, we haven't, the crash could have been ridiculous, right? But I also don't think we know yet. Um, I, I think, 
You know, I, it was reported today that consumer spending jumped 17.7% in May. That's awesome. I think people were bored as hell and wanted to get out of their house. And they had some stimulus checks and everything else. I mean, I, I don't I don't know that I'd get incredibly excited and think, you know, COVID's gone and the world is back to normal. You know, I do think we've got a, a reckoning coming probably around August of have we really gotten through this or not, right? If, when we get past these programs, what are we going to see? So I'm actually going to ask each of you, we're going to do this on a sliding scale. If you could give the SBA a grade and just this overall, the PPP program, the loan forgiveness side, a grade A, B, C, D, or an F, I guess. All right. And I'm calling you on the spot for this. What would you say overall? Uh, I'm going to go with a B minus. So that's the Sam Ball grading system. I think they had to do this in a flurry. It was tough. Um, and, you know, it's like cooking spaghetti and throwing the strand on the wall. So, so Corey, calling you, what would you think on this one? I'm going to give the program concept about a B minus. I'm going to give the systems and the technology behind the E-Tran and everything like that uh, probably a much lower grade, closer to a C minus to a D. Uh, just because, I mean, you look at the volume and stuff that came in. When you went to launch this program, we have to sit there and think about some of these things. And I understand that you can only move so fast, but there's so many different technology partners and people out there. And we talk about open banking and all those other concepts and stuff. Technology and resources are available to put things at scale. If we're going to launch something, let's make sure that we have everything in place to get that done. And I know we want it to move fast, but going into phase two, seeing the same problems reoccur, hearing the frustration, and, and look, I think that pretty much every banker would agree that the program, the concept, the idea, and everything like that, we fully support it, and we're really thankful that everything has worked out to, to the extent that it has. Um, but as advocates for our customers, right, and that's what we are, you know, our small business, like you said, they're facing all these new challenges uh, right now, and they're forced to find new ways to kind of adapt for themselves in their communities. And as a bank, it's our role to assist them to kind of serve as the guide to their hero story for their business, right? And so for us, not having access, being shut down, or killing uh, the ability to be able to use uh, RPA or, or robotic process automation to be able to submit loans, uh, those things really hindered some people to be able to get these funds and get these things over to customers at a time that they needed it, at, you know, the most. And so I think that, that that's kind of where my grade is. I may be a little harsh, but that's coming from the guy who's been in technology for 20 plus years, right? I, I know there's a possible way to fix things. Yeah, I really wish E-Tran was a four-letter word. It's five. I just did the math on my fingers, no, it's but it four. should be. It's, we, we've all e called it four. Yeah, we're going to go four. All right, Neil. All right. So right now we got a B minus on the concept. We got about a eh, on execution. You know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a tad of an easier grader to the Corey, but I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna go with the firm B, and and, and here's and here's why. Um, it, this was just an unprecedented scale. Um, when we think of infrastructure and our plumbing to deliver, you know, capital to people, you know, directly, um, that that just wasn't there, and and we needed to do that. I think. To, to fully point the finger and say, or just to, just, just to the yes, they do it and their tech and their systems. Um, the reason I think it, it is a little harsh is I think a lot of banks figuring out they've got holes in their own, um, right? Which which is part of what, um, you know, you'd kind of mention, you look at what now this has kind of changed for us is, uh, I think a lot of banks kind of realized the ability to move very quickly didn't exist all these projects that were kind of off to the side. And you can say the same about e-tran upgrades or whatever it was for the SBA. It was all, was all kicked down the road and here came along a crisis where it was, was really needed. And so even from the risk management side, 
of things, just even the data, how updated is it, how quickly can I run an analysis of my full book and, you know, um, and, and run all of this through. So I think I think it served as a catalyst for everyone, right, kind of government included, to go to go deliver. And I think we saw, yeah, the e was, was very flawed. They, they they tried to kind of stand up the um, the SBA Connect, which was an, which was an AWS, um, you know, kind of hosted system that, that came around, didn't have the direct plugins, but, you know, provided some sort of outlet, right? Um, and, and, you know, but I do think the result piece, you know, were businesses saved? I think a lot of them, right? Um, and I think you're right in terms of determining, uh, when are we actually of it? I think a lot, a lot also weren't, right? I think there's a fair amount. And so I, I live in New York City here and, and, you know, I think there's a decent number of restaurants that, that will not be opening back up. Right. Um, you know, when, when, when it comes in and that's the unfortunate reality. Um, but, but there was, you know, I, I think the impact of the economy could, it could have been worse if it were not to your point. Um, you know, the Fed moving very quickly, putting these in, you know, the estimate sheets taking a long time to launch. But, um, you know, again, the hope is that once the plumbing is there, these programs are easier to tweak in terms to drive demand, right? And we've seen that in the UK and elsewhere. So Firm B is 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 where I'm at. I, I do agree, Corey, on on the tech pieces that it could have could have been a lot better. Um, I'm just I'm just keeping in scope of the size of the program, the speed at which we're running. No, I absolutely agree with that. My biggest thing is, you know, and I agree. I think banks have struggled and realized a lot of shortcomings that they have. But I hope that we're grading ourselves harshly. Right. I hope that we're looking we at what, what can we do yeah. you know, to fix this moving forward? How do you learn from this? And, and I think that that's a big part of it. Yeah. Lessons learned, in, in my opinion, are everything. And I think we did take a lot of lessons learned out of 2008 and coming out of this, we should do a ton. So, Catherine, here you go. Last word on this. You get the final grade. I would like to caveat my grade by <laughs> pointing out that in 2019, the SBA provided $28 billion to 63,000 small businesses. I don't think anybody at the SBA woke up the morning after an emergency was declared and said, you know, we want to process all these loans. We want to do this job. They were kind of told to do it. There was no other way to deploy this capital. And what frustrates me the most, I'm going to get to the grade, I promise. What frustrates me the most is that what would have made this so much easier and wouldn't have relied on banks necessarily to do this is if the data that we used to make these decisions, the tax data, was actually available to us in real time. Every single piece of data we use to make a decision lives in the government. Why can't I just get it directly so that I'm not having to do all these identity verification checks and confirming all this other information? It would have been so much better. So I give the whole system a D minus because they could have made it easier for us to operate. The SBA, I give them like a C plus because it wasn't it's they weren't designed to do this but it's really unbelievable that we can't get access to the data in real time yeah it's interesting I'll, I'll tell everybody go out and listen to mark cuban's take on this he's done god knows at this point a million interviews talking about it or he's like even screw just the loan programs give everybody cash and put it out there we'll talk about that on a different show i'll get mark, i'll get cuban on we've tried a couple times all right that's it we've run out of time believe it or not folks um, but you've got three people here that um, you can dive deep, deep, deep into these topics because based on their experience and what they've done, they have been in the trenches. They've been in the arena. So, Corey, let's start with you. Where's the best place for people to reach out and contact you? Yeah. So for Origin Bank, it's uh, HTTPS Origin dot bank. Uh, and then you can also follow us on you know Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, you know, your normal social channels for myself, uh, LinkedIn and then Twitter as at Inked Banker. Yeah, and if you're on Twitter, it's probably his wife, Cassie, who's answering. But that's okay, because in all honesty, Cassie is way cooler than Corey. Hi, Cassie. 
We love you. Neil, how about you in Oak North? Best place? Sure. Sure, Sam. Well, um, uh, as well, you can you connect me directly on LinkedIn um, or over email. It's uh, Neil, N-E-I-L, dot Karim, K-A-H-R-I-M, at oaknorth.com. Um, or just check out our website, um, uh, www.oaknorth.com. Perfect. And Catherine, how about you and Cabbage? Cabbage with a K dot com is the easiest place to find us. You can find me on LinkedIn or I'm Catherine with a K and a Y at cabbage.com and all the usual, usual social places. And as for me, at Sam All on Twitter and LinkedIn. Speaking of LinkedIn, I host a daily morning show called The Breakfast Show US, which goes live over the 11FS LinkedIn page at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time every morning. Go and follow 11FS on LinkedIn so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review. And that would be a five-star review, please. And even better, share it with your friends. That's the best place for them to learn about the show. Speaking of which, if you know someone who loves fintech, who isn't listening to Fintech Insider, pass along the pod. Tell them about the show. Be a true friend of the pod. If you have any suggestions or feedback, find us on social media. Just reach for and search for 11FS or email podcast at 11FS.com. Thanks so much for listening.